0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to Episode 7 of Innovation Activists, Designing Healthcare's Future. I'm Reid Omri, and this month we'd like to welcome guest Dr. Ed McGruder. Ed has more than 24 years of experience in the animal health pharmaceutical industry. He currently serves as the head of alternative innovation R&D at Elanco Animal Health. Thanks for joining us today, Ed. Really glad that you're here. I'd like to start by asking you, What inspired you to pursue a career in veterinary medicine and science? Well, one of the things I've always said is that vet medicine is actually
1: in my DNA. So my dad's a veterinarian. He practiced 50 years of small animal medicine, and I had two uncles as well. And uh, I started working with my dad when I was five years old, so I may view it as work. He probably viewed it as babysitting. (laughs) But I think think, uh, being in that environment and seeing that veterinary medicine is a is a way that we serve mankind through animal health, really set my views up to say, this is all about one health. So one health is this concept of, we learn from human health from a veterinary medicine standpoint and vet medicine learns from us. So, so growing up with, um, was, with him was fantastic uh, in, in that regard. And then I had a lot of curiosity. So I went to Texas A&M and that's where I went to vet school. Um, and, and so the scientific piece came from my last semester in vet school. I actually did a research project and that project was on really, how do you study facultative and intracellular bacteria and host defense mechanisms, specifically salmonella. And it was a model to study salmonella and in humans. You know, within that regard, again, that was the beginning, again, of this One Health experience. How can you have this sort of transitional porous relationship between human medicine and vet medicine? And, and that sort of started even during that time frame. So after that project, it turned into a, uh, a Ph.D. thesis that I continued. And, and I, I took a month off, but then started the Ph.D. after that. And, and by the time uh, the end of 1994 came around, and um, I was finished with the DVM and the Ph.D. and then started working at Elanco Animal Health.
0: When you were a kid tagging along with your dad, would you have ever imagined that you were going to follow in his footsteps and getting the your veterinary degree?
1: I, you know, it's it, uh, certainly being raised in the practice that was a possibility, uh, and being around there were certainly things I knew I would loved about the profession. There were some other things uh, that were sort of different, but it did sort of it, it was a very uh, you know it was a very um, structured part of my life, and it was a very it was very impactful as well. I consider my dad to be one of my heroes, and, and, he, and he still is, and uh, you know, just really trying to, if I could be a little bit more like him every day, then that, that's a win. So, How did you do
0: the career pivot
1: into pharma? So uh, from a pharmaceutical perspective, that certainly connects well with science. Uh, at Elanco, they were trying to understand, how do we, how do we uh, identify molecules that can help control infections in animals, poultry, swine, and cattle? Uh, in a way that doesn't involve antibiotics. And so this is host defense mechanisms. That was my training, and so it, it fit nicely. So I left Texas uh, and uh, headed uh, north to uh, Indianapolis, where I've been off and on for about 25 years.
0: And you, you've really been focused on disruptive innovation. Yes. How would you define that? First of all, I'd say uh, it was a
1: coin a term that was coined by uh, a professor at Harvard Business School. His name is Dr. Clay Christensen. And so disruptive innovation is a concept where imagine you have a market with an established company and a small company that has technology comes into that marketplace and they begin to disrupt the marketplace with technology uh, a- until they g- gain market share and eventually take over the incumbent company. And so that's, that's what it is and, and, it, and that's total disruption. We see disruptive technologies in the marketplace in, in examples like how Lyft and uh, Uber are disrupting taxi, the, the taxi business, for example. How Airbnb is disrupting hotels, for example. But I think the ultimate example, and actually Dr. Christensen wrote a, uh, a Harvard business, business Review on this, was Blockbuster Video. So at one time, Blockbuster Video, which was obviously brick and mortar chains that sold DV, DVDs, it was a $20 billion company at its highest point. Uh, but But with broadband internet, which was the technology, and this small startup called Netflix came in, <laughs> uh, Netflix was able to come in and disrupt the entire marketplace until the fact that uh, Blockbuster was no longer uh, around. And currently, I, w- I was checking the market cap of Netflix last week, $160 billion. So they actually grew uh, eight times larger than, uh, than, than Blockbuster at its, at its biggest point. So it's really how do you embrace technology in a way that's going to really allow you to grow and expand? And I think those are the kinds of things we have to keep an eye out for. That's, that's what disruptive innovation
0: is. What are some of the early signs that we might look at to consider if disruption is occurring?
1: Well, I think uh, many things happen on, on curves, and so we like we talk about bell-shaped curves, but when we talk about the S curve, that is more of what innovation is. So if we imagine an S that is uh, sort of um, um, uh, linear, then it, uh, it sort of starts in a, in a very small uh, pattern and you see some changes occurring and technology occurring. And then right at the bend of that S is where uh, the technology begins to take off. And that is the place you want to live in. If you're going to grow in this space, that's the place you want to you know, place bets. You'll also see that there'll be multiple applications taking place in that space as well. And so, once there was GPS, then GPS led to the ability to track, you know, to track uh, vehicles and phones, and and so then it led to Uber and it led to Lyft and it led to Uber Eats, etc. So it led to these. Uh, uh, I guess these uh, in in your city you have these scooters that are all over the city that also are GPS enabled, so it was the GPS technology that enabled the disruption. That, those are the kinds of signs that you see. But I think the other thing is, and from an organizational perspective, what, what I believe is that if the outside world changes more than your inside world, then that's something to be concerned about when it comes to technology and disruption.
0: So when the outside world changes at a faster clip than what's going on internally, that's a bad thing for your organization I, over I, time. Yes, I would agree. So so
1: therefore, one has to ask the question, what are the disruptions that are occurring in my space? And by the way, they happen in every space, happening in human health, happening in human pharmaceuticals, happening in animal health. What are those areas? And then if I think about what in my organization are we very, very good at, how do you marry that sort of strategy to what the changes that are occurring and, and, and get on board? Because again, once upon a time, Kodak said, Kodak had all of the technology and IP around digital images. But the then-CEO said, people will never want to take pictures on their phone because the quality is not very good. And so here was the owner of the IP putting a stake in the ground about digital images, and we now see that there are high-end cameras, and, and most people don't take photos anymore by film. So that's an example of the outside world changing faster than the
0: inside. So if you're part of an organization or a company that has been very successful leading in its field, it can be really hard to convince people that they should really think about things in a different way. Sure. How do you promote that? Can you know use Blockbuster as an example? We are also talking about GPS. I wonder, you know, like what is the business model with for Garmin moving forward? I mean, this was the <laughs> right. leader in, in GPS. Now. They're just another one it's just another one right so so how do you get people when they look like they're being really successful and they've worked hard and they they've they've succeeded how do, how do they pivot and consider something entirely new
1: I think the way the way to think about that is that from a technology standpoint technology doesn't behave in a linear fashion it behaves in an exponential fashion and so one of my personal beliefs uh, dr. Omri, is that if the solutions you have in your business are linear, but technology is exponential, then you, you're losing. You're losing at that point. So my, my thought every day when I wake up is, how do I provide exponential solutions to exponential problems? And because technology is exponential. We think about the fact that the cell phone I'm holding in my hand has more technology and power than the Voyager space probe that was launched years ago. It was, it was this rampant curve. We think about the fact that Watson and Crick discovered DNA in the 1950s, and we now find ourselves in, with CRISPR-Cas and other technologies that we can actually edit the DNA itself. So, I mean, that, that was only about 70 years ago. Those are small epochs of time, and, and so that really shows you that it's an exponential growth of technology and how do, how do we think exponentially in our thought process. So I think the answer to the question is the bar continues to grow every single day, every single year. It grows, and so how do I keep up with that growth?
0: If you look at healthcare as a whole, what are some examples of potential disruptions where we're just starting that exponential part of the curve that you're mentioning, the place we really want to be? I'll use a historical example and then I'll talk a little bit about the future. So
1: about 50 years ago, even taking it back 100 years ago, monoclonal antibodies were a thing, right? It was, you know, here's this monoclonal antibody and it has a promise to specifically bind and target diseases uh, or receptors. Um, and and have and have activity and have less less side effects, right? And and there were early days, and we didn't know much about how to make them, and you know, tech, and they were very expensive. Now, when we think about some of the blockbuster drugs in the marketplace, they on the human side, uh, human healthcare side, they typically they are monoclonal antibodies because they have very specific activity, they have less safety issues, and they therefore have a, a big therapeutic margin. So if I if I sort of think back. 50 years ago, it was very new, and now it is the technology that's transforming healthcare, as an example. I, I think, though, is uh, w- what comes to mind on the human side is, if I think about wearable technology, well, many people have smartwatches, smartphones, garments, and so forth, and I'm not <laughs> promoting any particular one, but there's technology out there. There's also algorithms and machine learning, you think about that. And then we think about the human genome being discovered over 10 years ago or so. If you take all of those things and put them together, uh, then you start thinking about personalized medicine. And that's something that we've heard and that's a word that's been tossed around in healthcare a lot. But now if I know the genes and I can have a phenotypic description with wearable and you know data around heart rate and heart rate variability, respiration rate, even biomarkers like you know glucose and so forth. Now that I have all this information and I have very sophisticated machine learning and algorithms, you put that together and you can have real time monitoring for, for healthcare, remote monitoring. You can do in silico mod modeling as well. There can be gene editing done in the future. You know this this idea that uh, I forgot what was the name of the device? The tricoder was uh, the device they used in Star Star Trek. Yeah, I believe that with all the technology we're describing, that that will be real in the future. So, so, so to me, that's an example. It's that exponential growth of the technology that's going to make a
0: difference in the future. So you sound really optimistic about what the future holds for healthcare.
1: I am. I, You know, sort of telling a story, some of us grew up watching a show called The Jetsons, and they had oh, yeah. moving sidewalks, well, that's real. They, <laughs> they uh, pushed a button and got food instantly, well, that's a microwave. Uh, you know, they talked about flying cars, they exist, it, we just have to get past some of the FF, you know, FAA regulations. And so, all of these things that were shown in a 1960-1970 cartoon are, are, are actually possible. And so therefore, yes, I'm very uh, optimistic that in the future, there'll be a personalized opportunity to, uh, to
0: heal human beings, uh, you know, based on their own genetics. Absolutely. Uh, that is really exciting. What are some tangible tools and resources that people might use to promote creativity and innovation within their own organizations? Uh, I
1: think uh, the, the first question is, do I have a culture of innovation? And there will be a culture of innovation, but the question is to what degree. And so there are a number of tools that one can use to identify how, how innovative is my culture. So there's some tools out there, and, and, and we, can, we can talk about those uh, offline later. But I think if you have a culture of innovation, then you're willing to fail quick, fail cheap, and fail fast because it is in the failure that you have the, the the wins. I mean, we know the story about Thomas Edison, you know, the first time he made a light bulb or designed that, it didn't work. He had many failures before he had the light bulb and that's transformed really our lives. And so, do you have a culture of innovation, which is based on I can fail quick, fast and cheap in a way that's gonna you know push the envelope forward. One of the things we did um, uh, with you in your organization was really an ideation session. So we had a professional organization um, uh, named Doris and the, the founder named Sam Juka come and really describe a really exciting half day to say what's the future of healthcare look like? And we talked about smart hospitals and, and smart, uh, smart hospital beds and, and so really just uh, a wonderful like, concept there too. What I've seen other innovations uh, organizations do as well is uh, uh, promote hackathons and so you know hackathons are very common in engineering but what would, hack, what, what would a hackathon look like in healthcare? Where you really, you know, spend two two days, two full days, trying to uh, create the future. Maybe it's around, you know, socialization of uh, of healthcare in a way that you know allows healthcare to spread, you know, broadly into places where, uh, places where there are access challenges. For for example, uh, entrepreneurs and residents can make a, d- a difference. And I was uh, very blessed and excited to to serve in this role and continue to serve in the role here, um, bringing the outside in. Because again, if that outside environment is growing quicker than the inside, that can be a challenge. And then I think finally ethnographic research. So, so many times uh, when we want to think about how do we solve problems for humans, we get into a mode where we want to, Dr. Omri, just ask questions all the time. But sometimes it's just important to, uh, you know, to listen and learn. Uh, a great example of that was with uh, Unilever. So Unilever owns Tide, uh, the Tide uh, detergent, and they were wanting to really change their brand. So they sent about twenty uh, uh, researchers out. And they simply went into your house and different people's houses and they simply watched people wash clothes. And so uh, these, these 20 people were watching. They, did, they asked a few questions, but they really just watched, took notes, observed, filming, and whatnot. And one thing they saw 18 out of 20 people saw this. When it came to a shirt that was being washed for the collar that was dirty, they would either take the liquid tide uh, or the powder and, and dip it in water and they would scrub it together and put it into the washing machine. And so, uh, so they get back to the home office and the manager says, Hey, what did you learn? 18 out of 20 people saw this pre-treatment of the collar, and it led to the Tide stick, which is now a billion-dollar product uh, in the marketplace. And so, so, so sometimes it's all about how can I, how can I really just not even ask questions, but just watch and observe how people live their lives as it relates to how they treat themselves with insulin, how they, you know, take their medicines, you know, uh, you know how how they uh, take care of themselves from a health uh, from a uh, nutrition standpoint. It's just getting that information and synthesizing it. So I would say the answer is do you celebrate failures, ideation sessions can make a difference, hackathons, having entrepreneurs and residents, ethnographic research, and all of that is around a culture of innovation.
0: Wow, that, that sounds like an amazing place to be <laughs> in that culture. Thank you so much for, for sharing all of that. And as we, we wind down this episode, how might our listeners challenge themselves to think innovatively?
1: Well, here are three questions that I ask myself every day before I go to bed, or in the morning when I wake up. These three questions, and then it leads to this sort of grand challenge. Um, First of all, am I making an impact in my job? So, So if I'm waking up in the morning or finishing my day, did I make an impact in my job today? Secondly, did I learn something new? And then the third question is, am I taking the appropriate amount of intelligent risk? Because what I've found is, when those answers are yes, then I'm really growing as an individual and from a cultural standpoint, and I'm thinking more innovatively. So my challenge to uh, those who are listening is, identify a problem that one of your key customers has, and that customer can be external to your organization or internal, and then uh, find innovative tools, and I can share some of those with uh, Dr. Omri, and and use those tools to solve a problem for your customer by the end of the year. I think that's that's the challenge I'll have, solve a problem using innovation.
0: Thank you so much, Ed. This has been very inspiring and really enjoyed our conversation. appreciate you being a guest on Innovation Activists, Designing Healthcare's Future today. For our listeners, please share your thoughts with us on Twitter. My handle is at Reed Omory, and Ed Magruder's is at Edward underscore McGruder. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what tools and resources you personally use to promote innovation in your organization. And please stay tuned for our next episode of Innovation Activists next month. Thank you for listening.